On today's episode of Tell Me What You Know, we start off with a tribute to legendary folk singer-songwriter John Prine. Learn about the career of the Mayfield, Illinois mailman turned lyrical legend. John passed away from coronavirus on April 7th, but left fans of his music with generations of material with which they will remember him. Hope the afterlife is grand, John. And then, we are pushing up our glasses and talking about hacking. This nefarious activity started back in the early 1900s and has only become more complex since. Hacking is when someone gains access or acquires information to something they're not allowed to see. From large banks to Paris Hilton, they're always under attack by 300-pound geniuses in their mom's basement. At least that's what they'd want you to believe. We don't want to become the target of the next vigilante hacker. We're just trying to tell me what you know. What is going on, everybody? Today is Thursday, April 9th. This is episode 50 of Tell Me What You Know. Um, So close to a whole year. Yeah, and then we'll be changing things up. I, <laughs> I feel like we, we're just we're both looking at these last few episodes, being like, do we do we have to do these in the exact same way, or can we just change it up now? No, I think I think what we got got going is good. We had to do um, a full year. Yeah, I kind of feel accomplished a little bit. I mean, maybe we didn't get you know we had these delusions of grandeur going before we started here like we'll be the next big thing maybe because you know you start something new and you get into it and you have you feel like you have an awesome idea which. I'm still convinced our idea is pretty fun. It's definitely like a oh a common little conversation thing going, but I, I getting, th- doing something for a full year, it's pretty pretty cool, I think. Oh, I absolutely. Not, not to toot our own horns here or anything. A whole but. year, 104 <laughs> topics. I mean, it would help if we actually really marketed it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well. But uh, I think we've learned a lot on the production angle. Um, true. Editing side, and also just what's uh, sort of what's feasible in terms of, all this, all the ideas you have that, that you want to do, but yeah, and hopefully we got yeah. some uh, some more interviews coming soon because those are always fun to do. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the virus kind of put a hampering on that, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, speak. I mean, I haven't seen you and what what's going on? How are you doing? You doing all right? Doing good. My weeks. hair is growing crazy. I know. I've been thinking about that first haircut. Think about just shaving my head, my head off, basically. Yeah, just cutting well, my whole head off. So I've been hearing a lot about um, some like underground, you know, things are going black market now because nobody's going out. Like when this first started, um, Natalie said uh, the other people were going to start opening up like speakeasies again, like they did in the 1920s. Now I've been hearing about underground barber shops opening up. People (laughs) like a black market barber will come to your house, cut your hair. Come get your bootleg Corona. So, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I think the longer this goes on, I think uh, that stuff will will start happening. Yeah, it's true. You're probably right about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, nothing's really changed. It's day whatever of quarantine. I think everybody's kind of doing the same thing they've been doing, uh, which is, I guess, cleaning their house and responding to Instagram challenges. Yeah, and drinking. <laughs> drinking. I'm a, the guy at the the Chelsea Market here near me actually told me that breweries were stopping distribution. And I don't know if I believe him, if he's just trying to get me to buy more beer or something or mm-hmm. what, but, uh, because demand hope, is so far down or something. I just think, uh, probably a whole bunch of reasons, right? Like yeah. that. Plus like their workers don't want to do it anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Much pressure from everywhere. Yeah. But, well, I guess I would imagine the, uh, the kegs of beer would, would be a lot. Like, there's a lot more yeah. to distribute there. Right. So that's a big part of demand. For sure. And there's n- nobody's having a keg party. No bars are open or anything. So. Yeah. Crazy. Well, let's jump into today's episode. A um, little bit of a selfish one on my part because I don't know. 
you know, we kind of talk about doing biographical type stuff and whether or not it elicits conversation, but I wanted to do this one anyway. Michael, tell me what you know about John Prine. John Prine? Yes. P-R-I-N-E. Correct. I don't know who this is. Okay. Um, he sounds like an inventor. <laughs> of sorts. Of sorts. Yeah. Uh, it sound, yeah, he sounds kind of like a entrepreneur, maybe. John Prine. Knowing you could be something tech-related or, I mean, video game-related. Yeah, keep uh, going. <laughs> maybe... <laughs> You could not be further off, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about him. Tell me. Tell me. Uh, tell me who he is. All right. Well, it's gonna be a little sad, but John Prine was a singer, songer, uh, singer songwriter, folk, folk music singer songwriter who, sadly, two days ago passed away at seventy three. Uh, he had coronavirus, actually. This wasn't the singer songwriter who wrote um, uh, Stacy's mom, was it? No, that's Fountains of Wayne. Well, no, the the writer of that in Fountains oh. of Wayne, he died of coronavirus too. Yeah, yeah, and so did uh, oh fuck, I forgot his name now. Uh, Bill Withers, he died a few days ago as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Bill, coronavirus got Bill Withers. Yeah. That's sad. Or I don't know if it was coronavirus or if it was just he just passed away. I'll look it up right now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was coronavirus. I though. like Bill. Withers. But no, I think he was just eighty-one. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, back to John Prine. Yeah. Uh, folk singer songwriter Rolling Stone actually called him the Mark Twain of American songwriting at one point and I think if you talk to anybody familiar with him it's kind of hard to disagree with that statement um, especially from the kind of um, compliments he received from other super well-known artists as well uh, he was born in Maywood Illinois in October 10th 19 on October 10th 1946 Maywood uh, Chicago area town started playing guitar around 14 uh, at the Old Town School of Music, of Folk Music in Chicago. After graduating high school, he actually was a mailman for two years, served in the Army in West Germany for two more years, I believe, and then moved back to Chicago where he got back on his mail route uh, and did that for, for several years in the Chicago area. Um, as, like, as a mailman, he said like he, he would just write, so, write and sing songs as a hobby. He said that he always likened his mail route to a library with no books, so he like passed the time each day making up these little ditties. Mm-hmm. Um, started playing club gigs in Chicago. It was, he was actually discovered by Chris Christofferson, who was a hot name in, in the singer-songwriter arena at the time. Yep. Um, and so, and Prine has actually credited Christofferson for being the person that gave him the break, basically, that he needed to get into the industry. Uh, Christofferson returned, I guess, the, the praise and said that, you know, the first time he heard John Prine and, and he got him up on stage in front of some people, he said, you know, John Prine, is, he wrote songs so good that we'll have to break his thumbs, basically. <laughs> um, Roger Ebert, so, so, so John Prine would, would play in this place called uh, The Fifth Peg. It's a, like an open mic spot in Chicago. And uh, Roger Ebert happened to be in there one night and saw him play and gave him his first review, calling him a great songwriter. He said he appears on stage with such modesty he almost seems to be backing into the spotlight. He sings rather quietly and his guitar work is good, but he doesn't show off. He starts slow, but after a song or two, even the drunks in the room begin to listen to his lyrics, and then he has you. Um, So, like I mentioned, Christofferson heard him play in this place, the fifth peg, invited him to New York and said, uh, come up on stage with me. There's a bunch of people from the industry 
in the in the crowd that night. And the next day, he got uh, signed to Atlantic Records. Um, he, I guess, he worked for Atlantic Records for a while. Then he moved to a new label, Asylum. Finally, he started like he rejected the model, like uh, you know, record labels. They they exploit the artists, that kind of thing. So he mm-hmm. found he founded his own uh, record label called Old Boy Records in 1984. Um, and his fans were he he had such good fans at the time that he was actually able to receive funding from them in advance to complete his sixth album right when he opened up the the the, the new label. Wow. Um, it's kind of interesting. He's like one of those guys that it's not exactly the same as, you know, like, Oh, an artist, like, uh, their work is never really, uh, people, people don't understand how good their work is until after they're gone type thing. Like he definitely had people know that he was a great artist and like he had great work, but a living legend. Yeah. But he didn't really have any hit records. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he didn't really have a smash record, but his self-titled debut album came out in 1971 uh, it's it's considered to be one of the best debut albums of all time. I mean, if you are a fan of his music and you look at his that 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 album, it's like every single song is just quintessential John Prine, and it's so they're they're really good. Hmm. Um, so I mean, this I was going to ask you this question. It's probably not a fair question to ask you right now, just because it's a conversation that should happen with more research. But can you think of any? Just not have to be like any certain genre, but uh, like debut albums that is just. Each each song doesn't miss basically. Not nec- not, really, not, not really fair. Not necessarily <laughs> his. Well, I'll, I'll give a shout out to um, Mike Granger. He uh, his fav- one of his favorite conversation starters is discussing artists' first songs on their first album. Okay. And as like a judgment of, I mean, not necessarily a judgment of the artist, but but just like a wow, you really. Uh, just hit it out of the ballpark on this very first song. Like the very first song people heard off your record is just something that has stayed with people for forever. And the one he always brings up that I, I really agree with is um, Guns N' Roses, um, mm-hmm. Welcome to the Jungle. And it's just like a um, an album that just hits right yeah. as, it, as it goes. And um, it just sets the tone for their entire discography, basically. The other one I think was Dave Matthews. I think Dave Matthews has another great um, debut album where like every song on it I can like listen to right now. Yeah, we should circle right back now. to this and like uh, and talk about it at some point when we've done a little a little bit of research on it because I'm sure there's some some diamonds in the rough out there. I, I think Mike Granger wanted to do a whole podcast <laughs> about this. He's welcome to come chat <laughs> with us. Oh no! Like no, not not like a one yeah, episode yeah, yeah. of our. Pro- he yeah, wants yeah. to do a whole show about gotcha. <laughs> about going down artists uh, track one album one. I think you should do that. Pretty good idea. Yeah. Um. So back to John Prine then. Uh, in terms of like awards and recognitions, he he won a Grammy in '92 for his album "The Missing Years." He had a bunch of uh, artists come and and. And that were featured on the album with him. I think Springsteen was on there, Bob Dylan, a few others. Uh, that was a, a Grammy for contemporary folk recording. He won a second Grammy in the same category in 2006 for an album called Fair and Square. So he was nominated for 11 Grammys in total. Uh, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award Award just last year, I believe. It was for 2020, so I don't know, I guess, if he got it last year or if he's going to get it this year posthumously or, or what. But um, So that's another another little... Feather in his cap. Yeah. Um, he was the first singer-songwriter to perform at the Library of Congress in 2005 as well. He was invited by the po- Poet Laureate at the time, who I can't remember what his name was. Hmm. Uh, on a personal level, like for me, I always loved how he kind of has this like 
funny way of looking at the world. He's got like the, the humor in his lyrics was, was really top notch. And it's, uh, he has like a unique way of, of thinking about, uh, I guess situations. He said, what he said was he always found like the, he said, I guess what I always found funny was the human condition. There's a certain comedy and, and pathos to trouble and accidents. And he had this like really cool gift of, of offbeat humor. He had songs called, uh, Jesus, the missing years, some humans ain't human. Uh, there was like an anti-war song called your flag decal won't get you into heaven anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He's got songs called Linda goes to Mars, which are just super bizarre. And, and they're, they're like one of the, one of the lines in there is, uh, you know, Oh my stars, my Linda's gone to Mars. I wonder if she'll bring me something home. Like just <laughs> funny stuff like that. He had like this really cool demeanor about him. Yeah. And he was always able to like paint these stories with his lyrics about normal America, whatever that is. He's got these characters like he has a song called Donald and Lydia who I don't even, you know, maybe these are real people, but maybe not. It's just kind of just the middle, middle American, normal people. He's got Sam stone, all this kind of thing. He's just, you could tell that he cared about people and he like made it super clear in his lyrics that that was the case. Um, <clears throat> I've got a couple, I guess just quotes about his influence from some people. Uh, like Bob Dylan said, you know, he writes beautiful songs. I remember when Chris Christopherson brought first brought him on the scene, uh, Sam Stone featuring the the wonderfully evocative line. There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes and Jesus Christ died for nothing. I suppose uh, he's like, that's just kind of, he said, no, nobody but Prine could write that. Johnny Cash was saying the same similar kind of stuff. Like he doesn't listen to much music unless he's going into songwriting mode. Then he looks for inspiration. And, and John Prine is one of the, of the big four in his list there. Hmm. Um, I was first introduced to John Bryan by my dad. The first time I can remember hearing him was we were at the beach, the coast of North Carolina, near Atlantic Beach, Moorhead City area, driving to and from Brandywine Golf Club to go play golf that day. And he had the CD on in the car. And I can still just remember hearing it for the first time and like not really liking it that much. But then listening to the lyrics starts to grow on you. And then obviously when you get older, you can get a new appreciation for things. And that's kind of what happened uh, with me and John Bryan's music. Yeah. So. Hmm. If you're not familiar with them, you, you aren't, of course, but some other people out there, if you're not familiar with them, give them a listen. And if you are familiar, then uh, you probably kind of feel a little bit like I do right now. Yeah. I mean, um, has he been had he been songwriting with other artists that are still going right now? I mean, has he been yeah, working I mean, on? He uh, released his last album in 2018, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, but he he actually he had he got cancer in early in the late 90s I believe um, which kind of affected his vocal cords so he's been singing super gravelly and raspy for the last 20 or so years now but he's still been performing I saw him pr- play I guess five years ago at a thing called Merle Fest in uh, North Carolina hmm. and uh, still has really good energy up there but he was he was 73 and he was definitely you know he he looked a little weathered but uh, I I pulled him up and I had I do recognize him actually he's a very super super cool guy is great great music yeah so i've been basically listening to john Bryan for the last 36 hours got the guitar out playing a little bit as well so nice just crying (laughs) no no tears yet but big time appreciation yeah yeah that's good yeah yeah i definitely want to go listen to some of these lyrics yeah just listen to his debut album john Bryan. yeah it's uh it's good stuff will do well i got time you got time um, well, I don't know if you've been hearing a little bit about this, but, uh, have you been he- hearing about people on zoom calls being zoom bombed? I have, uh, one of our coworkers is just 
begging for the day. He wants to be Zoom bombed <laughs> so badly. I, I can understand that, actually. As I say that, I'm pretty sure I can understand exactly what he, he wants to have happen to him. Yes. Um, but Zoom bombing made me think of this topic. Michael, okay. tell me what you know about hacking. Hacking? Uh-huh. Uh, I mean... I might take this in multiple directions. Sure. Let's do that. Uh, so hacking essentially is you, I guess, by means of, of uh, f- force, when I, but when I say force, like uh, cracking a code essentially to take over somebody's computer or some, some kind of their online account or something like that. Mm-hmm. You can get, uh, get their money, you can get their personal information, steal their identity. Uh, you could write a movie like Swordfish. <laughs> yeah. With John Travolta. And is that uh, Hugh Jackman? Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, and, Hugh, yeah, and Halle movie. Berry. I think those were the first boobs I saw that I can remember. I think she had like a million dollars of breast. Yeah. Oh, really? Or like half a million dollars of breast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big one for me. Growing yeah. Up. Oh, yeah. Love Halle Berry. Tell me more about hacking. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely looking at hacking in the computer sense. The uh, Hacking actually first goes back to the, the what what is cited as the first hack was actually in 1905. Um, so using um, you know putting things out over the wire and using like Morse code to transmit signals. Oh uh, yeah, and then like code breakers early on, right? Exactly right. So yeah. so these weren't very um, you know difficult things to tap into if you had the means to. So like. It was basically just like electromagnetic frequencies going out, and if you could read them, and then you knew Morse code, you could translate the uh, the message. So um, the first hack was by Neville Maskeline on uh, I love this name Guglielmo Marconi <laughs> in 1905. <laughs> so Marconi ha- had all these wireless transmission patents, and Neville was kind of like an aspiring. Um, technical person and he he was also like he came from a family of magicians and inventors and so he kind of saw um like the wire and morse code and electromagnetic frequencies as like a way to do real magic where he could transmit signals back and forth between him and his assistant and you know just wow a crowd so he was kind of working on this stuff but he couldn't actually put any of his knowledge into practice because uh marconi had all these patents so Marconi had said that everything was super secure and that businesses, you know, could could send messages, the government could send messages, and uh, Neville just kind of knew it was, was bullshit. So there was a, uh, a display of the technology that was happening. Um, they were sending messages, I think, to ships, and um, he tapped into the message and just started writing um, in Morse code, uh, RATS, R-A-T-S, just over and over and over again at different times in it. So it was also kind of like the first troll. Okay. <laughs> he was just kind of showing that it could definitely be hacked into, uh, manipulated, and and it was just sort of like a vengeful act. Right. But um, then fast forward to sort of more modern times, but still probably pretty primitive. Um, do you remember the little blue box? Um, it was basically like a way that, that hackers could, or anybody really, but... It looked at the tones and the, the the tones that you 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 hear when you typed into a telephone. So okay. like if you went to a payphone, you'd type, you'd hit the button, and like there were slight frequency differences 
like okay. slight tonal differences in the the pounds. Yeah, I remember I would like play songs on my Nokia phone yes. back in the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they basically they figured out the code that went into the uh, into those into those tones, and then you had a box that would go onto the receiver end, and then you'd hit the 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 buttons back to it, and you could essentially get free calls. So like you'd go up and hit hit the buttons, the AT and T service would go, oh, you, you've got uh, a free call. Go ahead and call whoever you want. So it was a way that that you could completely bypass the system actually uh steve jobs and steve steve wozniak were a part of this group that made the blue box uh which i which i thought was pretty interesting it was like their first foray into making you know computer equipment for people yeah um another funny thing about this is that people who study telecommunications companies are called freakers with a ph (laughs) you know that freakers So like so yeah so so like phone hacking they call fracking but with ph. Okay. So they they study, you know, how to get free communication basically and they're called freakers. So it's gotcha. like a, it's like a sub subculture of hackers and as we find out there are a lot of subcultures. So uh then in the 80s a couple of different things started to come out. So uh there was this hackers manifesto which basically laid out the ethics for people that want to hack into different companies and and i think that it's sort of like a um maybe not hack into companies but hack into anything really uh but it does lay out some form of ethics for what they can and cannot do um and i think it was it's mostly talking themselves into it i think i mean i don't think I don't think there's any good reason that somebody should go steal information from somebody else even if at the end they go uh, hey, we were just here to tell you that we found this security vulnerability in your system, and yeah. here's this information. We didn't do anything with it, but we just wanted to show you that we could. You know, I, unless you hire somebody to do that with your with right. your knowledge, I, I don't think it's like ethical. But nonetheless, uh, some people do find do do feel that you know certain powers could use this technology that we have and and. They should be able to hack in so that you can't oppress the people and all that stuff. So that was written by a guy named Lloyd Blankenship, uh, a.k.a. The Mentor. <laughs> There's, um, he was a part of a hacker organization called um, Legion of Doom, I think. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I just want to pull up. Uh, not... I feel like hackers, uh, like... I just have this picture, this mental image of them as all being just scrawny little nerds, and they're like, "I need to have power." They're all, they're all, uh, <laughs> they're all incels, basically, right? They need to get power over the chads, yeah, the dads of the world, yeah, basically. And so like, now they have have us by the balls, essentially. Basically, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, but these guys were in the 1980s, you know. I mean, so this, yeah, this members of Legion of Doom. Uh, I mean, it's still going on, I think, in in some respect today. But some yeah. of these names are great, like. Like yeah, they've got Alex Luther, Blue Archer, the Dragon, spelled with D R A G Y N, Sharp Razor, uh, Fucked Agent Four with P H, <laughs> uh, the Warlock, Terminal Man, Video Smith. I mean, there is kind of like this gamer tag aspect to it that was sort of like the beginning, yeah. And and it kind of leads to this next part where, uh, you know, pop culture started really coming out talking about hacking. 
And the movie uh, War Games came out in 1985 with Matthew Broderick. Did you ever see that movie? Yes. Uh, so, like, a lot of people didn't really, you know, like, in that movie, he knew how to uh, access a telephone and get free phone calls. So, people just started to have the, kind of their eyes open to the fact that there was these people out there that, that if you knew how to use computers or if you knew how it worked, you could kind of get around the system pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And I think they, I saw somebody quoted as just saying, like, people thought hackers were either, uh, you know, trying to play tic-tac-toe or or trying to start nuclear war. And right. so, like, people's perspective is just so... At that time, who knows about computers? They just think it's, like, this stupid thing. They didn't really see that the whole world was kind of migrating over to operating on them. And these movies kind of, like, shed the light on it. And then later in the 90s, you had movies like Hackers. Did you ever see Hackers? Um, I don't know and if I did. Angelina Jolie. Actually, oh, I definitely saw it. Though. It's it's an <laughs> it's an awesome movie. Um, I, I mean, but certainly like ultra '90s. I mean, I think I'd I'd go back and watch it now and feel pretty cringe cringeworthy. There was a lot of cringeworthy moments in it, but um, but it's just like kind of a cool, gritty New York movie. These these, as you're kind of saying, like incels that kind of dress in like that like weird late '80s, early '90s leather and like neon lights and that kind of stuff going on. And they're just tapping into the net, and they're hacking into banks, and and you know earning credibility in their community, and all this stuff. It's just kind of a fun, um, a fun little movie. I think I think in that movie they're like hacking into a oil company, and 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 some hacker is gonna capsize a oil tanker, and right. they're gonna stop him. You know, so there's certainly like this like the FBI is coming after these other hackers, and then you've got you know bad actors. So they have like. There's like black hat and white hat hackers. So it's kind of like they both do the same things, but there's like a good and a bad side. Right. So that kind of brings us to our next reasons. Like, why do people hack? And it basically, they boil it down to four main motives. So there's a financial gain aspect to it where you could hack into somebody's, you know, banking information or hack into their phone and transfer money to you. So there's ways that you can, you know, benefit yourself financially. There's also just people like to hack into things that could be seen as hard to hack into just to gain the street credibility of doing it. So you can kind of get, uh, you can level up in the community just in terms of street cred. There are hacking into companies just mainly for trade secrets. So you could hack in like, hey, maybe you want to hack into Coca-Cola and figure out that that recipe or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there are uh, motives to you know, attack state organizations. So hacking the FBI or hacking uh, the NSA or the CIA. So you're trying to get, you know, trade secrets, but for uh, governments. So those are kind of like the four main reasons people hack. Um, I think there's probably also like just a troll element to it too. Absolutely. Um, have you ever, have you ever been hacked or anything? Like has, has anybody, or even, even just to the extent, has anybody like, sent an email bomb from your account and made it look like it was something coming from you? Anything Not like that I'm that? aware of. I've had like my, like my, I think my credit card got skimmed in a gas station pump one time, mm. but I guess that's kind of along the same lines, but I, I'm not aware of any uh, hacking that's been going on. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just ignorant to it, which is not good, but well, I mean, I think that there's so many, um, desires to be secure but i think looking at all of the different 
uh, hacks that have happened at, at some pretty large institutions and, and the credit um, agencies that got hacked, all your yeah. information is out there. And yeah, I think sure. all, of the, all of your passwords are pretty much out there. The only way I think you can try to maintain some level of security is to constantly change your passwords and mm-hmm. or use like a, a password manager. Two-factor authentication stuff. Two-factor. I mean, just trying to stay ahead because there will always be ways, I think, to hack into hack into things. But they're usually like the vulnerabilities that I've always heard are, are usually like human vulnerabilities. So like yeah. you know, somebody's going to call up Verizon and act like you. They're going to say they're you. And then, you know, a lot of the ways that they verify are like, well, what's your birth date? Or like, where were you born? That's not necessarily mm-hmm. information that's so hard to track down. Right. So I think the only way you can really do it is to stay vigilant and um, kind of know that everybody knows your information out there, but you don't want people to be able to access your bank account or anything. Right. Well, with a name as common as mine as well, I feel like I'm a prime target for <laughs> That's right. my, well, you know, the good thing is, is that my dad and I have the same name, so maybe they'll get him instead. Well, my, me and my dad have the same name, so I I don't want them to go after my dad. <laughs> I don't right. I don't necessarily want to have the same people going after him come after me. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Maybe some of but that. But I mean, yeah, it's true. No, but yeah, no. It's, I didn't it's, mean it's, that. Oh no, it's true. It's like uh, you don't know who who's coming after you, and so many t- are of the things now are like, why not just throw a big net out there and see what what gets caught? So I'm just going to send an email to all these people that I know. I, you know, I'm sending like thousands and thousands of emails and then one person that gets scared and wants to send me, you know, Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll just do that. It's like easier than hacking one person, you know? Right. But so we're looking at hacking and, and like scamming phishing as the same kind of thing. Well, here. they, they really, similar. they really are. Um, like you, you brought up swordfish and I think that there's like this, it's an interesting, um, translation between what the layman thinks and what like actually is going on and i am not i'm much more in the layman's category than i am in like the expert category but like if you understand the transactions of what's going on at like the millisecond level between the the two things you would kind of know that like brute force hacks are really hard and require um yeah like require a lot of computing power or a lot of time and there, there are ways that you know you can either just get timed out on trying to brute force hack into stuff. Yeah. But so you kind of need to have some vulnerability and the vulnerability usually occurs with some, some other thing rather than just the, uh, the cryptography of, of what you're trying to hack, like it's coming up with somebody's password. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, if you have a really easy password, maybe they'll try the first 10,000 easy passwords and like, just don't have your, don't have your password be password. <laughs> right. You know, like dumb stuff like that. Soccer one, two, three. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, don't do stupid stuff. Don't necessarily have your, like your dog's name as your, as your password or something like yeah. Just make it totally generic. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I think also scamming in there, like you brought up the credit card reader. I, th- I think that's sort of like a hack. Like it, ha- it has similar aspects to the, uh, the tone telephone, the blue box. And I'll give it to them. Like that's a way that you can steal stuff in the real world that is sort of using the vulnerabilities of the just how you read the credit card, right? Like it's just saying, hey, we're gonna put a little strip in here and we're gonna monitor the credit card number and the the information. Not saying it's right, obviously, but I I, I consider it being a, uh, a a hack of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's move on to another type of hacker. 
Let's move on to a life hacker. What do you know about life <laughs> hackers? Life hack was uh, actually a clue in yesterday's New York Times crossword puzzle. Oh, really? Yeah, it's something. It's like a, it's just it's a time saver, right? Essentially. Yeah, it, it it's it. I think it kind it of makes something that you do habitually maybe a lot easier. Yeah, and I think it would also include with like, hey, you ran out of something, and now I need something, but I can't go to the store. Like maybe there's a life hack. Maybe there's something else in my. I, I was watching a ton of YouTube videos of this and was just thinking, like, this is total MacGyver bullshit, you know? Like, yeah, don't have a corkscrew? How are you going to open that wine bottle? <laughs> well, here's some life hacks to get that wine exactly. bottle. Exactly. Oh, just take your shoe and bang it on the wall. It's like, only a $5,000 hospital bill when you cut your arm open. <laughs> exactly. So I, I went down this, this life hacking um, path, and there I definitely recommend going and watching. They have, like, a bunch of montages, like 27 cool life hacks for guys. And like you, you, you look at it and it's like ways that you can hang a picture better, you know, or like hang something. How are you supposed to figure out where to mark the holes on the wall uh, on like this, this thing I want to put up, put up and I need to drill the holes. So it's like they use a piece of tape and then you just mark it on the pieces of tape and then you put the piece of tape on the wall and then it's transferred. It's like little, it's like little hacks, you know, it's just, it's just like a little tip. Genius. Yeah. Um, I always, oh, big one for me. I like ice cubes in the dryer rather than um, like getting on an ironing board. That's that's a big lifesaver. Oh, I just do like a, a, to, to get your like wrinkles out of your clothes. Yeah. Yeah, that or a, a wet, a wet uh, washcloth will work. Okay, yeah. yeah. Just steam up, steam up that water. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to bring up another hacking. Mm. You might have a little bit more insight in this. Oh, the golf course? No, that was going to be my fourth <laughs> one before I signed off. What <laughs> What do you know about biohacking? Oh, I know nothing about biohacking. Oh, is that like uh, creating like man bear pig? <laughs> Basically. It's like, <laughs> so these people, and I did not know this, they call themselves grinders. Okay. Maybe because they're like grinding through life in a way. I don't know. They're They're like trying to optimize their whole bodily output so i think that there are ways that it kind of crosses over with life hacking like like in the crossover i consider being that hey i want to i want to sleep every four hours for two hours kind of like that kobe did this right like i'm gonna have these little naps but i'm gonna space them out so i can actually maximize more time during the day where i can work or something like that that i think kind of crosses over in between the life hacker and the biohacker but the biohackers, these grinders, they seem to be a little bit more willing to, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna put something in my skin that monitors my glucose levels because I want perfect glucose levels in my blood at all times. And I want it to notify my phone so that I can do something about it. And these are the, the people who are sort of more the biohackers. Yeah. Um, and so The Atlantic published a story. Um, wait, I don't know. Where's my – hold on. Cut this. Oh. Notes. It just wasn't hyperlinked. So the Guardian published a story about, it was called Extreme Biohacking, the tech guru who spent $250,000 trying to live forever. This guy is 32. He had made, um, <laughs> he had made some money in Silicon Valley, like doing some startups. He, he's from Russia moved to Silicon Valley or moved to the, moved to the States and then got into computers and, 
and I don't know, he set up some businesses, he made some money. And um, I, I mean, if anything, I, his name is Serge, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's Serge Fagwet. <laughs> ah. And it, I mean, if you just look at it, I think he could probably improve his life just by changing his last name in America. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he had some great lines in this article. He, uh, yeah, he spent $250,000. He wears $6,000 hearing aids just to optimize his already perfect hearing. <laughs> he's okay. five foot six. He's 69 kilograms. Again, this is in, I have to do the conversion, but he's a small guy. Okay. Um, he wears an aura smart ring on his left forefinger to measure his sleep patterns. He has, um, a monitor that continuously measures his glucose glucose levels sending data to a smartphone uh and it's 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 implanted subcutaneously in his fat in his belly you know the only thing that sounds more miserable than living like that is having to be around that guy oh my god it's just some of his quotes in here i'm just i mean this morning after his daily meditation session but before his breakfast of avocados olive oil omelet grapefruit and green tea Fagwet washed down 40 pills he eats only once a day, fasts three times a week, and tries to follow a ketogenic or low-carb diet. I mean, he eats th- that breakfast is all he eats every day. Yeah, but with the exception of three times a week, he fasts. I don't know so if that means four, the entire four meals day. A week. I don't know if that means he he fasts the entire day, or if he maybe does like some. He's doing it seems both like a, a intermittent fasting and keto diet. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but he, I mean, he says he takes 40 pills there, but later I think he takes in total 60 pills every day. Jesus. That's way too many pills. Well, his grocery bill is way down, so you can spend money on that. That's true. I guess that's true. But yeah, this is all, this is all in some effort to live longer, max, maximize your life, all that crap. Um, Billionaires. What's the point of living that long if you're just gonna be miserable? All the time? I, exactly. <laughs> you're just gonna be constantly worried about how am I not maximizing my life more? Yeah, and everybody around you is gonna despise you. Yeah. The uh, Spotify and face one of the Facebook founders, that Sean Parker guy. Mm-hmm. He says that he's got so much money that he's gonna have so much, he's gonna have access to such better health care that he's gonna live till he's like 160. So he needs to figure out how to like spend his time more. And I just think it's such bullshit. Like, well, these billionaires, like, they really think this. They have this, like, God complex where they think they, yeah. they can do anything. And it's like, God, man, I just kind of feel bad for you. Huh. I mean, I'll take your money. But, right. but right. I, feel, I feel bad that this is the road you've gone down. And, like, you're, what, you're not going to go do the nice things like uh, um, What's-His-Face did from Square and Twitter, and you're going to donate a billion dollars to coronavirus? Jack Dorsey. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. You know what else is big these days off topic is uh, donation shaming. Oh. Oh, yes. Is People this are talking what, about how... Uh, I think I did see this. How Bezos donating $100 million is bad, actually, because it's it's like me or you donating $57. Right, right. It has to be some <laughs> proportion of how much you actually have. Yeah. <laughs> right. It'd have to be anything. I don't know. Yeah. Then there, then, then you can't get into the conversation because then the, the conversation shifts immediately to, well, billionaires shouldn't exist. And it's like, okay. Right, I right. I'm not talking about politics and this kind of crap on Twitter. Right, exactly. This is why I need to make my new Twitter. I, I, think, I, <laughs> I think I saw this uh, come up with somebody said it's like, oh, some basketball player donated like twenty five dollars or $50,000 or something. And then it's like 
cue the person telling me his percentage of net worth this is. It's like, right. God, just go away. It's like, oh yeah, I forgot they have you know forty billion dollars in cash in the bank. Yeah, I mean, anyway, it's just a bunch of crazy I digress. People. Crazy people, man. The world we live yeah. in. This the fact that Twitter can like change people's perspective on what's going on is just. Uh, it's really depressing. Just put it down. Just put it down. The people are start talking. They want new Twitter. They want, yes, they do. <laughs> Twitter Twitter 2.0 is coming out. God, I hope so. Well, that's all I got on on hacking. Um, nice. I think uh, I think the the Zoom hacking is is going to continue. I think having just these open, it's like also if you want things to be really easy on the internet, you should make them just one button clicks. But you kind of open yourself up to these people who just want to like get into your uh, get into your chat room and say whatever they want to say. It's kind of like Show a, a double edged sword. Yeah, scream a bunch of profanities. Yeah. Well, actually, I did. I, I found out today the hard way. I had a four o'clock Zoom call. Actually, they are now making you put a password on it. Oh, that's good. So, or unless it's like a th- something you can opt out of, I think you have to opt out. But uh, we couldn't get our Zoom meeting started because there was a password request. So. Well. There you go. Zoom's trying to get more secure, trying to yeah. try not to lose enough business to uh, uh, Teams and Google. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, excellent. Now I know more. Now we're probably going to be the target of some troll hacker. I feel. Like. Yeah, I think so too. I need to change all my passwords. I'm going to change it right now. Yeah, I got cool. a lot. Thanks, man. That's right. All right, guys. That'll do it for this week's episode. Like I said, this is 50. We have two more coming in uh, season one of Tell Me What You Know. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. You know it's the weekend because this is coming out on Friday. <laughs> and we will we will talk to you all next week. See you guys.